Boy, that song will wake you up, won't it? I like that song a lot. How are you all doing today? I'm better than better. I'm feeling so good today I can't stand myself. I'm liable to get hurt for this day's over. It's good to have you all here with us today. I hope we say something that'll be helpful to you. We got several who are ill, very ill. I hope you keep them in your prayers every day. Uh, they're they're very dear to all of us, and uh, we wanna we wanna pray for them uh, always. Let's pray right now, if you would. Father, we pray for those who are ill, especially those of our number, who are so very, very important to us. We pray for those who are mentioned who are deathly ill. Ask you to bless them, bless their families as they struggle with the illness. We pray, Father, that you'll provide a way for us to be of some service to them. But most of all, we depend on you, our Savior, in this world and the world to come. We love you with all of our heart, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, I want to talk a little bit this morning about the uh, theory of premillennialism. Well, that's a tough word to say. I'm tongue-tied, and I have a hard time wiggling around some of them words, and that's one of the hardest I've ever tackled. Premillennialism. It's a, it's a big, ugly word, but it's a very popular word in religion. Protestant religion. The Catholics don't go for it, but uh, Protestants do. I think, well, maybe a lot of the Catholics do go for it now. But it's a very popular Protestant uh, theory uh, that you encounter always, and you probably don't even realize it most of the time. Uh, if you break down the word premillennial, it simply means pre or before, millennium, a thousand years. But the meaning of it is before Christ's 1,000 year reign begins. Now, most of you probably uh, aren't familiar with this at all, but as the theory goes, uh, one day Christ will come back. Uh, there's going to be a rapture, of course. That'll come first for seven years. But uh, Christ will come back. Um, all the righteous will be raised from the dead. And uh, they're going to uh, band together with the Lord. They're going to have righteousness reigning on earth for a thousand years, at the end of a thousand years. The unrighteous will be raised from the dead, and then we'll all go to the judgment. What you know, what you've been taught most likely is the fact that when Jesus returns, there will be a resurrection of everybody. The good and the bad, all are going to come forth from the graves. And at that time, on that day, it's called the last day in the Bible, uh, on that particular day, we'll stand before the Christ, we'll be judged and sentenced to either heaven or hell. The two, the two are very, very, very far apart. Uh, the theory of premillennialism is not a biblical, I don't like to say theory. The Bible doesn't put forth theories, it puts forth facts. Uh, it's not a doctrine of the Bible, it's a, it's a theory of men. And uh, we need to be uh, made conscious of that. Sometimes I hear my own brethren using these premillennial terms and trying to understand what's going on today. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, the Bible does teach that nearing the end of time, things are going to get bad like they're getting right now. Uh, all this transgender stuff and the homosexual stuff and 
everything we see going on. The Bible teaches that just before the end of time, all that stuff's going to happen. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach uh, that you're going to know that the end is near by anything. There are no signs. There are zero signs that the end is near. Uh, people get mean. It's, it runs in cycles. You go back historically. And what you're going to find is that people get mean. They nearly destroy their civilization. Uh, there's, a, there's a change in attitude that takes place, and then people get good, and they're good for a while, and then they get mean, and they're mean until they nearly destroy their civilization. They turn around, they get good, time after time after time after time. That's the way people are. We really don't change. We just uh, wear different clothes, that's all. The theory goes that Christ will return to the earth. He'll rule from David's throne in Jerusalem, and he'll rule for 1,000 years, thus the term premillennial. He'll come back before, and he'll rule 1,000 years afterward. There's also a teaching called postmillennial, which is a 1,000-year reign, and then Jesus will come back at the end of the 1,000 years. There are so many theories. There are so many theories of this that there, there's no way to speak for all of them at one time because they, they contradict one another, they got different ideas, they got different plans. And uh, when I talk to you about this particular theory, I'm gonna be talking about it in general as some of the writers of these things uh, teach. There's a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Many people here may be familiar with the book. Uh, I read this book probably back in the, <laughs> oh, he, I remember one time a, a child got carried out of a, a building like that. <laughs> and he looked up and said, oh, Lord, people pray for me. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I'm sorry, anyway. The late great planet Earth has been around for a long time, written by a fellow named Hal Lindsey. Uh, and to me, best of my memory, this was one of the books that got this started back in the day. Uh, there's been a lot of books uh, since that time. There's a book called Left Behind. I, I never read any of this stuff, uh, except what I have to, and usually I read cliff notes. But uh, I don't know too much about the books. I do know what they advocate, however. And these books advocate the theory of premillennialism. And because there's so many books, there's so many movies, and the movies are pretty good, uh, if you like excitement and all that stuff, but uh, people watch and read these things and then they believe that this is the way it is. And uh, it's unfortunate. We believe parts of it and maybe we don't even know what it is, but we hold to parts of it. It's uh, end time signs that people talk about so much. That what we're seeing going on in the world today, the debacle in Afghanistan, uh, all the blunders being made uh, by Biden around the world, all these things are end time signs. These are signs that the end of time is near, okay? Uh, and there's a lot of Bible verses that are used to prove that the end is near. Uh, but these signs, as I said a moment ago, are not signs at all. There's no signs that indicate that the end is nearing. The only sign that indicates that the end is nearing is that we're one day closer to the end than we were yesterday. Other than that, there is no other sign that I know of. The Lord said uh, he wasn't going to give us any. Uh, 
In Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said of that day and hour, he's talking about when he comes back, that day and hour, no one knows. No one. Not even the angels of heaven. But my Father only. Only the Father knows when he's coming back. There are no signs. If there were signs, we would have an inkling when the Lord's coming back. The signs would give it away. That's what signs do, right? They point to the day being at hand. But Jesus said there are no signs. There, there is no knowledge that anyone has that uh, I'm fixing to come back. When I come, it's going to be a very ordinary day. He goes on to say, it's going to be like the days of Noah. People were eating and drinking and going about their business. They were marrying and, and, and burying. They were building houses, starting new families. It was a typical, ordinary, very ordinary day. And all of a sudden, the sky cracks and here comes the Son of God into the world. That's the first thing you see when Jesus returns is him coming back in the sky. The most popular theory of premillennialism is known as dispensational premillennialism. It gets harder all the time, don't it? These big words. Dispensational premillennialism is the most, pro, uh, most well-known of all. I'm going to read from uh, the experts who uh, advocate this theory. Uh, Ernst Kevin, he says, Old Testament prophets predicted the reestablishment of David's kingdom and that Christ himself would bring it about. It's true, he did. But he wasn't talking about bringing it about literally. He was talking in a figurative sense. The throne of David is in heaven where Christ is. It's not going to be on the earth. He's sitting on it now, and he's reigning over his kingdom uh, now. Okay? But to the Lord's complete surprise, he says, the Jews rejected Jesus. Now, that was something that troubled me right from the get-go. The Lord had Jesus coming back to establish his kingdom. But the Jews, to God's surprise, instead of embracing him like God thought they would, they rejected him. And because they rejected him, he couldn't establish his kingdom. So he had to come up with another idea real quick. And he decided to start the church. And the church would exist from that time until Christ comes back. And then when Christ comes back, the church will be rolled up like a ball. And the kingdom will then come into existence. So the theory goes. They are supposedly people who believe in God, and yet at the same time, they think that God made a huge mistake by misjudging the Jews' reaction to Jesus. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. So he postponed his kingdom's establishment, and he temporarily set up the church in its place. The kingdom is yet to come, according to the theory. Right now, the kingdom is somewhere out in the future. Jesus is coming back. Van Harvey, in his little handbook of the theological terms, uh, wrote, uh, Shortly before Christ returns, the world will become evil. Full of tribulation, the Antichrist will arise. Jesus will return, destroy Antichrist, raise the righteous from the dead. Jesus will reign over the earth in peace with his disciples for a span of 1,000 years. 
At that time, Satan will be loosed, evil will resume, war will be fought, and the end will be the here. Now that's according to Van Harvey. He sums it up in that fashion. So he's saying that the kingdom is sometime out in the future. It's not now, this is the church age, and the age of the kingdom is yet future. James Nichols, in his little book, Christian Doctrine, a presentation of biblical theology says, for centuries, the Jews have been scattered among many nations. In preparation for the return of the Christ, the beginning of the millennium, they are being gathered back to their own land, according to prophecy, in a national restoration. Those who are familiar with history know that this occurred back in 1948 between the combined efforts of Great Britain, France, and the United States. Uh, the Jews were gathered up, those who wanted to come, they were taken to Palestine. The uh, Palestinians were pushed back out of the way. They were moved out of their houses. They were moved out of their factories. They were pushed back, and they set the Jews right down in the middle of them. And, of course, you know they've been fighting uh, ever since. Uh, this is in harmony with the theory of premillennialism. The Lord brought all the Jews back to get ready for his coming back because then they're going to accept Jesus and they're going to fight the battle of Armageddon at that time. He goes on to say, David's throne will be reestablished at Jerusalem when that time comes. Through these restored people, the Jews as a nucleus, Christ will reign with his immortal saints over the whole world. There will be peace on earth for 1,000 years and then comes the end. Now this is from the people who advocate the theory. This is not from me. I mean, I know what they taught, but I wanted you to see it in their own words, what they say. The kingdom is sometime yet out in the future. In summary, now these are my words. The premillennial view asserts that Christ came to this earth for the purpose of setting up his kingdom. Surprisingly, the Jews rejected Jesus. He then postponed the kingdom, set up the church instead as sort of an emergency measure. When Jesus returns, he will raise the righteous dead. He will restore national Israel. He will sit on David's literal throne in Jerusalem. He will reign for the span of 1,000 years. And then comes the resurrection of the wicked and the judgment. And, of course, the end will come at that time. That's uh, basically what these different writers have said in their writings. Unbelief is what produced premillennialism. It's a doctrine that is very, 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 very foreign to the Bible. It doesn't have any footing whatsoever in the Bible. It's a man-made concoction, something that people dreamed up. Uh, it makes good movies, but it's not the truth, and it's not a revelation from God, and it needs to be rejected. Faith rejects the false theory. I believe what God said. I don't believe what Hal Lindsey said. There's a big difference between the two. Faith uh, will reject premillennialism. For example, the kingdom. The idea that the kingdom was rejected because Christ was rejected because God goofed. He miscalculated. I don't believe that, not for one second. God doesn't goof. If God goofed, he wouldn't be God. It's because he doesn't goof is what makes God God. He's a perfect individual. He never errs. He never makes a mistake. Uh, he knows all things beforehand. But according to the theory, uh, this is the way it took place. This is the product, as I said, of unbelief. 
Those who believe in the Bible will not believe what's taught. In Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. He rules the world, in other words. The counsel of the Lord, that's what stands forever. When God says something, it's going to happen. It never fails, it never falters. When God decrees something to be, it shall be. And nobody can get in the way of it. There are many plans in man's heart, according to Solomon, Proverbs 19, 21. And nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that is what will stand. When God speaks, you have the truth. It's not close to the way it's going to be. That's exactly the way it's going to be. And one day, we will see that with our own eyes. And uh, God will, of course, be glorified. In Job 23, verse 13, Job said God is unique. Who can make him change? Obviously, no one. That's a rhetorical question. And we go on to uh, whatever his soul desires, that is what God does. The Lord doesn't make mistakes, period. I'd reject the premillennial theory right out of the gate. The Lord does not make mistakes. I wouldn't believe it for a moment. Isaiah said in Isaiah 46 and verse 10, God declares the end from the beginning. You know, God's already seen the end of time. God knows who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. He's already seen it. Everything, all things from the beginning to the end, all things are before God at all times. He doesn't have to wonder what's going to happen in the future. He knows what's going to happen in the future because he can see it. We're talking about a person that you and I can't really understand. He is so much bigger than we are. He is so much more than we are. I mean, I, I think on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting close to a, a point five in my understanding of God. He is huge. He is beyond belief he is so big. There's nothing he doesn't know. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows, he knows the end of my day today. He knows what I'm going to do tomorrow. He knows how I'm going to feel. He knows there's nothing he doesn't know. Jesus said he knows how many hairs you got on your head. And your hairs are continually falling out, so the numbers are always changing. But God knows the number of hairs on your head. How do you understand that? How do you comprehend such a being as God? You can't. You can't. One day we'll meet him. We'll see him. We'll understand him. But not now. Not now. Today we walk by faith and not sight. From ancient times, God declared things that are not yet done. Think about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God predicted the, the battle between Satan and uh, the Christ. When Satan would bruise the head of the Christ by his being crucified, and Satan, or rather his heel, and Satan, Jesus would bruise the head of Satan by coming back from the dead. 4,000 years before the event happened, but it happened, but it happened. As a matter of fact, all the prophecies, well, most of them, at least the ones we can trace, uh, have been fulfilled in precise uh, uh, measure. It's amazing sometimes when you look at the fulfillment of prophecies and how precise the Lord is. God declares the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. Nobody, but nobody can catch God off guard. It's just not going to happen. I will do all my pleasure. Among the many things about God, this is one. 
I know what he says. I believe what he says. Do I comprehend what he says? No. But I know that he always tells the truth because I've studied him enough to know that he only tells the truth. The premillennial doctrine stands in direct opposition to a number of biblical doctrines. Let me show you as many as I can before my time is gone. First of all, the Jews' rejection of Jesus was foreknown, predicted a long time ago. In Isaiah 53 and verse 1, Isaiah said, Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is the 7th or 8th century B.C., before Christ ever arrived in the world. Some seven, 800 years before Christ arrived, Isaiah prophesied that when he comes, the Jews are going to reject him. How did he know that? Well, he didn't. He prophesied it because the Lord inspired him to prophesy it. But the fulfillment of it, that wasn't up to Isaiah, that was up to God. In John chapter 12, verses 37 and 8, John the apostle wrote, Although Jesus had done so many signs before them, that is the Jewish people, they did not believe in him. No matter what he did, he could not convince them that he came from heaven. And he did some incredible things like raising the dead. But even though he did all these amazing wonders, they still would not believe. Then he goes on to say, this happened, that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? When Isaiah prophesied this, that the Jews were going to reject someone, he didn't know who was going to be rejected. He didn't know in particular, I don't think, that the Jews specifically, he might have thought Israel, but he didn't understand the Jews in his lifetime. But he didn't understand specifically that the Jews were going to reject uh, the Son of God. And then John tells us, shows us, that this prophecy was fulfilled in Christ. That Isaiah had prophesied long ago that they were going to reject Christ. And sure enough, look, they did, just as Isaiah said they would. Seven or eight hundred years before Christ came into the world, it was prophesied that Jesus would be rejected by the Jewish people. And he was. Second, the kingdom of God would be established during the days of the Roman kings. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, Daniel said, In the days of these kings, that is the Roman kings, the Romans um, were a superpower from the year 63 B.C. to about 476 A.D., during the days of these kings, during the days of this kingdom, you could think it, uh, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and that kingdom shall stand forever. Notice what Daniel prophesied, that when the Roman Empire comes into existence, which didn't exist when he prophesied it, but one day, sometime out in the future, see, there's going to be the we got now we got the Babylonians, then they're gonna you're gonna have the Medes and the Persians, and then you're gonna have the Greeks, and then finally at last the fourth kingdom is the Roman Empire. When the Roman Empire comes, sometime during that time, God will establish his own kingdom. It's a kingdom that will be built and shall never fail. Okay, that was the kingdom of Christ. This was prophesied by Isaiah. And sure enough, just, I mean Daniel rather, just as Daniel prophesied, uh, that kingdom was established during uh, the days of the Roman kings, somewhere around the year uh, 30 A.D. 
okay? And think about it this way. They say that the kingdom of God hasn't come yet. Well, if the kingdom of God hasn't come yet, then Daniel's prophecy fails. Because Daniel said that the kingdom would come sometime between the year 63 and 476 A.D. We're way past the year 476 A.D. If the kingdom of God hasn't arrived by now, it ain't coming. Because God missed that too. But God missed nothing. The kingdom came somewhere around the year 30 A.D. Thirdly, John the baptizer, the Lord, and the apostles all preached that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was a popular theme that they preached. At hand means it is very near. When you, the, the phrase was coined because when you talk about something being at hand, you're talking about something being close. My hand is close to my body. It's not far off. So when you say that something's at hand, you're saying it's very near. So these men were preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is fixing to arrive. It's just around the corner. Fourthly, Jesus prophesied that there was a kingdom coming. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, the Lord said, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here right now. Some of you people standing out in this audience right now, you will not taste death. You will not die till they see with their own eyes the kingdom of God present established with power. The Lord said to the people listening to him on this particular day that there are some of you people here in the audience you're going to see the kingdom established with your own eyes. And no surprise he would make that statement because it was within two years that the kingdom came. And of course they did see it with their own eyes. Fifth, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. In Mark, Matthew 16, verse 19, uh, the Lord said to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You know what keys are for, that are lock or unlock, okay? What did he mean by this statement? I will give you the keys to the kingdom, and these keys will give you the access to open the kingdom to let people in when the time comes, okay? I'm going to let you have these keys. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached proving that Jesus was, in fact, the resurrected Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. When he got done preaching, uh, a lot of people, 3,000 people, they believed what he said because he used the prophecies to prove that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And 3,000 people believed what he said and because they believed and they realized that they were partly responsible for the death of Christ, they cried out to Peter and the others, men and brethren, what shall we do? I suppose they meant, what shall we do to be saved? What shall we do to make this wrong right? We did a terrible thing. How can we get out of it? What shall we do? And Peter, using the keys he had been given, the keys, of course, being words from God. He used those keys, the keys that would give people access to the kingdom of heaven. And he said to those people, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. 3,000 people were added to the kingdom on that very day. This is about the year 30 AD, uh, maybe 29. And uh, in the city of Jerusalem, 
people were added to the kingdom of God. Some 3,000 souls were. And it continued and grew from that point forward. The kingdom isn't yet to come. The kingdom came a long time ago, just like the Lord said it would. I got to stop on this last one. Sixth, there will be eating and drinking in the kingdom. <clears throat> the Lord told his apostles, you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. Now, he wasn't going to be into his kingdom until after he was dead, you see. He knew what was going to happen in the very near future. He was going to die. He would be raised from the dead, and he would rejoin his disciples. And he said, at that time, after I am raised from the dead, is implied, you will eat at my table in my kingdom. Where's the, where's the table of the Lord located? It's located in the kingdom. And one day you will eat with me at my table in the kingdom. Okay? 1 Corinthians 10 and 21, Paul said you can't partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. The Lord's table, which is Christ's table, which is in his kingdom, was being utilized by the saints at Corinth every first day of the week. Where were they? They were in the kingdom. That's where the table was located. And that's where they were located as well. I got to get one more. I'm sorry. I got a whole bunch of them. I ain't kidding. There's a bunch. The seventh one, conveyed into the kingdom. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Okay? And where did he convey us to? His kingdom. When I became a Christian, God conveyed me into the kingdom of the son of his love. That was his doing. He made me a part of his kingdom. The term conveyed means to be, to be removed from one place to another, from this place to that place, okay? That's what conveyed means. God moved people from this place to that place. He moved people from the world to the kingdom. That was his doing, and it's marvelous. He were delivered from the kingdom of darkness and conveyed into the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom right now, which is the church, which is the body, which is the family. There are a lot of designations all pointing to the same group of people. Each one of these designations simply refer to us in different ways, showing our relationship to God. Now that we are in the kingdom, we are part of his family. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are redeemed in his church. And the list can go on. Premillennialism is a false teaching. Don't be caught up in it. Too many say, well, the signs are showing that the end are, is near. There are no signs. There are no signs. Don't say that. Please don't say that. Every time I hear one of my own say that, it makes me wince. There are no signs. We're just a day closer. Don't get caught up in all this stuff. Makes good movies. 
but it's got nothing to do with truth. If you're not a Christian, you ought to believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You are to repent of your sins, be immersed in water, because that's when the Lord takes away our sins. In Colossians 2 and 12, Paul said God operates on us and he removes our sins when we're immersed in that water. As Christians, uh, it's easy to get caught up in human theories. Be careful. Be careful. If something sounds a little odd to you, just ask one of us. What do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? We'll help you understand how it fits in the scheme of things. But don't get caught up in these fanciful theories. They are fun. I'll give it that. They are fun. But they're not true. 